With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. He's been through his deal in the hospital. He's out. As we were told, everything went well, and now it's all biology. Our, our goal is for him to return and play this year. How soon, I will not, I, I hesitate to say because I don't want to put anything on him. And when it gets real close, everybody's always asking, are you going to play this week? This was the week you're supposed to be back. I don't know that. Nobody does. Our hearts go out to uh, personnel uh, because he's a hell of a player. He's a young man in the midst of uh, a career getting ready to blossom. Everybody goes, you know, it, it feels feels bad for him. At the same time, it's always next man up and we, we, we've got to move on. You know, your, your heart goes out to the guy. He'll be back, you know, maybe second, third uh, conference game. And it's next man up and just support that guy and, and, and away we go. I think anytime anybody gets hurt, you're disappointed. You're disappointed for the kid. You're disappointed for the team because they know the impact that the, the person have or the people have. But the, the, the big deal is uh, it's, it's always an opportunity for somebody else. That, that, that's the, those are the things. You know, it's an opportunity for somebody else and we're disappointed and, and we feel sorry for the person or the people hurt. As a team, we got to rally and, and, and keep going. And it's been injury adversity here for Nebraska in the second week of fall camp. Welcome to another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, Dan Hoppen has the show off as he is heading off to the Iowa State Fair right now, Dan. So hopefully uh, you're enjoying your time at the Iowa State Fair. Hopefully eats uh, as much fried food on a stick as humanly possible. <laughs> but let's get right to it, guys. Um, you know, Nebraska had had a relatively injury free fall camp as far as major things go lots of little camp bumps and bruises but uh, you heard it that was uh, Mike Riley defensive coordinator Mark Banker and then secondary coach Brian Stewart addressing the news of the DeMornay personnel injury he's going to be out six to eight weeks uh, with what's a broken bone inside his foot um, you know it could get him back by the Illinois game the Wisconsin game or even after the Wisconsin game at this point it's hard to say uh, how this thing is going to heal, but there's no doubt, Robin, this is a, a major setback for field position, explosive plays, you name it. Uh, this is probably Nebraska's number one offensive weapon. Yeah, even with the injury issues, you know, Nebraska had been dealing with at the receiver position. Uh, the the good news with that was that none of them appeared to be all too serious. Then uh, you you knew it was too good to be true before you know that one major fall camp blow finally hit, and uh, unfortunately, it came to. Uh, player in DeMornay Pearsonell who had as much potential going into this season as any player on the roster in my opinion I mean this was uh, a guy that was the perfect fit he was the next Jacquiz Rogers in Mike Riley's offensive scheme and he was going to touch the ball you know 15 20 25 times a game potentially or you know between special teams and receiving and rushing yeah so uh, you take that guy out of the equation for at least the entire non-conference slate and maybe even the first few conference games uh, that's certainly something to Brass is going to have to regroup from and find a way to replace what he was going to bring to the table. 
Well, and you talk about next man up when an injury does occur, but in this case, you know, DeMornay Pearsonell is probably the one guy out of that receiving core that you, you can't replace. Because well, he they, did so much. Yeah, you don't have another guy that, that brings, you know, uh, what Pearsonell has to the table. So uh, they're going to have to get creative, and, and there's going to have to be multiple guys step up in different ways to help soften that blow. When you think about just what he brings for everybody else, you, you figure there's going to be a lot of jet sweep motions where he doesn't get the ball, but just – accounting for yeah. him that helps Terrell Newby that helps Tommy Armstrong that helps other receivers that are going down the field just his presence alone on any play on the field a defense accounts for that at all times yeah and even on special teams too we all know how dynamic of a return guy he is but uh just think of the the, the mere fact that teams were probably going to go out of their way to kick away from him and so that in itself even if he doesn't even touch the ball is going to give nebraska a great field position on nearly every single punt so that you take that out now i mean jordan west westercamp looks to be the new guy uh while he's out at punt returner i mean Jordan's a great athlete, but he's no DeMornay Pearsonell back there. And so you're losing a lot uh, just in terms of of starting field position uh, by taking DPE out of the equation. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast here. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. We're talking about the loss of DeMornay Pearsonell here for uh, at least six to eight weeks. You know, Mike Riley being very cautious on putting a timeline down because you just don't know how these things heal. It's a common injury. I think Seathan Carter had one very similar a year ago. Um, Kevin Durant had one in the NBA. Uh, Basically, it's a small bone inside his foot that's broken, and everybody heals differently, so you don't really know. Uh, But you go back to that field position topic, guys. Um, A year ago, Nebraska, it's a hidden stat from that 2014 season. They led the nation an average starting offensive field position. They were starting drives on the 35.1-yard line, and a lot of that was DeMornay Pearsonell, Nate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he, he flipped the field, uh, you know, for Nebraska in several cases and uh, gave him a short field to work with. And, uh, you know, I mean, just a dynamic, uh, you know, return guy. You talk about an All-American caliber guy uh, who, you know, every time he touched the ball has a, the ability to take it to the house. Yeah, Nebraska just hadn't had a guy like that in a long time. I mean, the special teams in the return game especially was a, a real issue for several years. And then you finally get a, a, a player like that, an All-American caliber return guy, and now Nebraska has to go half a season without him. And I don't think he's ever dropped a punt either. I mean, I, I no. know we've seen guys drop him over the years, but I don't remember him. Him dropping one last yeah which year. is just especially impressive considering the risks he takes they're just real running straight at you know gunners and he has no fear yeah, back there and you know that that's that's something just that the you confidence can't yeah, that he plays with out there and uh whatnot but you know but we're going to talk more fall camp here in the show obviously the next three segments we'll talk recruiting more with nate klaus but we did want to give a couple minutes here robin to basketball they're out in spain um, they're playing what four games out in Spain? Yep. yep. Um, you know, uh, two more to go still. So, but what what are just some big takeaways you've seen from Husker basketball as they're out on this little Spain trip? Right. It's hard to put too much stock into really anything that comes out of these games, just because you know, for one, you're playing by a completely different rule book uh, with the FIBA rules, and so 24 second shot clock, way less contact. Uh, further back three-point line so you take everything with a grain of salt but if you're going to take any positives out of the first two games they played so far it's been the play of the young guys you know particularly uh glenn watson ed morrow even jack mcveigh throw him in there too Uh, each one of those guys have shown flashes of kind of what 
people are hoping they will become uh, in their first seasons because they're, they're all going to have to play. There's no question about that. But it seems like with just their early performances so far, uh, they're a lot more ready than I think some people may have feared. So, uh, you know, Ed Morrow has been physically at 17 points in their second game uh, on a really efficient clip. Glenn Watson had a game where he didn't even shoot the ball but had four assists and four rebounds. Uh, I mean, that's... And that's, Andrew White's looked the part. Oh, yeah. Andrew White had 17 uh, in their game. Uh, he scored double figures both times, and I know he had 17 in one game. Uh, so he's he's been that score. And more importantly, he had seven rebounds in the game. And I think he's going to be a huge factor in the rebounding uh, just because he's probably one of their biggest, strongest guys. Uh, but m- maybe more most surprisingly of all has been the play of Ty Webster. Hey, shockingly, he plays well in the European basketball yeah, scene. <laughs> and, you know, that's the frustrating <laughs> thing about it, too, because, you know, he's had two double-figure games, uh, led the team in scoring the first game and, uh, you know, shooting the ball really, really well. But I think that that's the, kind of the issue with him you know he got all that hype because how well he played in that those FIBA rules where there's you know not hardly any as much contact as there is especially in the Big Ten and so that's been the biggest adjustment for him since coming to Nebraska is just dealing with that physicality and uh, we hope that you know that's at least the shooting aspect can carry over into the season but I will say to his credit he's in the best shape of his life Uh, he's put on a significant amount of muscle I mean he looks completely different than he did two years ago Uh, so he's putting in the work to to try and you know handle that uh, you know rough and tough style of play uh, in the Big Ten but uh, the question is is he going to be able to kind of kick carry over what he's doing out in, in Spain under FIBA rules uh, when things get a little uh, more aggressive uh, come conference play. The timing of the trip has no doubt been good with a lot of young players for Tim Miles. When we come back here in the podcast, we're going to shift over and and give our takes on this Husker offense and where things are at with just two weeks to go before the opening kickoff against BYU. That's next. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I don't know if it's bad luck or good luck. It's just, you know, it's just part of the game. Guys get hurt. The fact that, you know, we just got to get some more of these guys healthy and back and get them into the season. Uh, but we also need time with them. So we, uh, there's, a, there's a factor, uh, an urgency factor of getting them back so we can work together and, and really hone in on the timing of the plays. It doesn't. As long as you got bodies out there, you just, you just keep practicing. So it doesn't. That was wide receivers coach Keith Williams addressing the question, how does it affect how you practice with all the injuries at the wide receiver? Before that, that was offensive coordinator Danny Langstorff. Welcome back here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washhead. And we're talking offensive storylines here uh, really at the midway point of fall camp. And let's start with that wide receiver position. We've already talked about the Mornay personnel but in general, it's just been kind of a grease fire with the, the luck that they've had at receiver. LeVan Austin out for the season with a torn ACL. Probably was going to be a guy that was going to redshirt, but you just lose some valuable time with him now uh, going forward. Um, it, you just look at the numbers. I mean, I, I did a, a breakdown the other night of the last three recruiting classes. Um, the, so the, 14, the 15, 14, and 13 classes, there's one available recruit from receiver on those three classes right now, and that is Stanley Morgan Jr. Because uh, you think about all the guys that have left the program, injuries that have happened. Um, so it, it really has been a mess with just trying to piece together um, a healthy grouping of receivers. Well, yeah, and you've had to rely on a lot of, of uh, walk-on receivers to, to really step up and just give you reps during fall camp. And, and to their credit, they've done a good job so far. But, um, you know, it's difficult when you're missing, you know, the time with those top guys, you know, at, at a critical 
part of the season, you know, getting ready, trying to get those guys ready, trying to get timing with Tommy Armstrong down and, and uh, you know, just getting the offense, you know, clicking overall. Robin, it looks like right now, obviously, Stanley Morgan is going to be a, a player and uh, play that X receiver. Uh, Brandon Riley will move over to the Y. That's where Pearsonell was playing. Um, and then Jordan Westerkamp will be in that slot. But, you know, Alonzo Moore's been battling injuries. Sam Birch is out with injury. Tariq Allen's been hamstrung. Um, you can go down the line. Uh, Lane Hovey's been slowed with injuries mm-hmm. uh, in camp. It's to the point, especially with a guy like Riley, his value is so important right now that they almost can't afford to risk him pulling that hamstring. And that's what I'm kind of wondering, too, because going into this past week of practice, Mike Riley called this the biggest week yet of fall camp, and Brandon Riley, to this very point, has yet to practice a single rep. I mean, he hasn't even suited up. And so you got to wonder if they're actually just being careful with him. Because keep in mind, early in camp, when all those other guys, when Wester Camp and DeMorne Pearsonell and Tariq Allen, all those guys were out, Riley was still in there taking a ton of reps. And so he, he kind of went through the grind a little bit early on. And you, uh, I think there, there, you may have a point where, yeah, they, maybe they're just trying to ease up on him and let that thing fully heal because, you know, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's a veteran guy that's been around enough. And uh, when he's on the field, he's made plays time after time. And uh, he's unfortunately, because of his injury history, you got to be careful with him not to not to set him back any further. When you wonder if a Jamal Turner can factor in or not, I, I think there's still that trust factor you know, can you trust him to stay healthy? Can you trust him to consistently catch the ball right now? I mean, that that's where I lean with him, Nate, where we've seen him make plays, but then we've seen him uh, squander some moments and plays as well. Yeah, he's. He, there's been times where you look at Jamal Turner and say, okay, that's the guy that we all saw in 2012, you know, and, and uh, maybe now is his time to be a dynamic playmaker. And then there's other times where you, look, you just shake your head and you go, man, uh, you know, for whatever reason, he he's not that same guy, whether it be injuries or, or you know, whether it's mental for him, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, now it's now or never for Jamal Turner to, to you know, uh, really step up to the plate and, and handle his business. Let's move over to running back. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. I'm going to throw this out here to you guys. Are you? I'll go with you first, Robin. Are you a Mikhail Wilbon number one guy, Terrell Newby, Amani Cross, or somebody else, are you a committee guy right now when you look at this position group? Well, definitely committee. And, I mean, I think Newbie is probably going to be the guy that takes the field first, you know, if they don't do some two-back set. But uh, that really doesn't mean a whole lot because I think that the, they're really going to divvy these things up and it's going to be just, you know, whoever plays is going to depend on situational, uh, you know, situations and so uh you know newbie has he's a guy that won it in the spring and has really hasn't done anything to lose the job and you know the other guys really haven't done enough to steal it from him so i think he's i think he's still the front runner there amani cross is gonna probably be you know whether he likes it or not more of that short yardage guy you know adam taylor uh probably factor in a little bit the same way but i certainly think mikhail wilbon is going to have a much bigger role than anyone anticipated he's looked uh, as good as anyone this fall uh I, i see him as that you know tip prototypical third down type back where you know you can run them off the zone read or screen pass uh so you know there's they got so many different elements in that running back group and it's not ex- necessarily a bad thing to to have you know i mean sure you'd like to have a feature back mike riley's always had a feature back but uh you can still get by with a, a combination of, of a lot of different guys anything different to add on that well, I mean, the biggest thing for me is there's not you, – you can't point to any one of those guys and say that he's the man. That's his job to lose. And, um, you know, and I do think it will be a running back by committee. But I, I kind of feel like, you know, after the third – 
game, fourth game of the season, uh, that this will kind of you know shake out, and yeah. there's going to be a guy, gonna someone's going to yeah. emerge and be that feature back. And and right now, my money's on Mikael Wilbon. I, I agree. I, Wilbon has had the best quote unquote moments. Where yeah, I don't yeah. know if newbies had a lot of moments. And I've, I've just seen too many two-yard runs, you know, and you can't be second and eight to make this thing work. You need to have Armstrong in some second and sixes, second and fives, and whoever can get you in that consistent second and six, as Randy Jordan would say back in the day, just give me my four, just give me my four. Yeah. And then if you can get extra, that's gravy. But, you know, it's an NFL type of mentality. You, you need to at least get four on first. Well, and Will Bond, what he's shown that the other guys haven't is that, that bounce. You know, whereas, you know, Adam Taylor, Cross, Newby, a lot of times they tend to just run into the back of their linemen. You know, they know where the hole His is supposed to be. just a little better. Yeah, but when it's not there, Wilbon has whatever that, that natural, um, you know, instinct is, like you said, to, to be able to kick it to the outside and turn, you know, what would be a two or three yard run into a 30 yard run. And so that that's what I think could separate him as time goes by. Let's move over now uh, to the offensive line. Um, when you look at that, first of all, Gibbons Price has moved over from offensive line to defensive tackle. And then that was quite a deal because he started last year at times. So that kind of, in some ways, is an indictment on the previous staff that one of their previous starters, a guy that probably would be starting if Bo Pelini was still the coach right now, is no longer playing offensive line. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, Definitely not a good good scenario. Uh, you never want to see a, a senior, you know, going into his last year, make a position move like that, especially when you're talking about a guy who was a starter last year. Uh, and then on top of that, you've got Zach Stirrup, who was a starter, um, you know, before his he's injury. playing third team, and now day. he's yeah third team guy. So you know, two of your most experienced players are are no longer really uh, getting any reps whatsoever with the top it unit. Just, it shows you everybody evaluates different, and when you throw out opinions and you know just your relationships with the guys and it's a clean slate stuff like this is going to happen yeah and i also wonder you know if the difference in mentality here is uh the previous staff when if there was you know, a close competition they'd always lean towards the veteran guy you know and i think they wouldn't give those young guys opportunities just for fear of not trusting him and that's the difference with this staff that's, that's you know that's why you're seeing you know nick gates getting first team reps at, at tackle and you know these young guys getting a lot more opportunities than you know maybe the previous staff would have given them so let's go down the line right now left tackle alex lewis Left guard, that's Utter, right? Yes. And then uh, center, Ryan Reeves. Right guard, Chungo Condolo. Right tackle, Nick Gates. I mean, I think that looks like the group today, yeah. but Gerald Foster is going to be – DJ Foster, Gerald Foster, whatever you want to call him, is going to be right in there with Utter. I think that that's probably the tightest of the, of the battles right now on the line. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Utter's played his butt off. I mean, he's he's – I think he's a fan favorite just because he's that prototypical walk-on guy that uh, doesn't fear anything. But uh, the fact of the matter is Gerald Foster, is, from a talent standpoint, I think his ceiling is uh, limitless. He's going to be so good down the road as he continues to groom, and uh, I think Nebraska fans should be excited about what he could be down the road. You can tell Cav likes Utter, though. He just kind of is that messy, tough guy. That... It's the mentality. It's that, it's that tough guy, hard-nosed you know, mentality. He's going to go out there and give you his all, and he's going to make sure that he, he whips the guy in front of him every rep and uh, and that's what Kavanaugh likes and I think uh, you know when Gerald Foster kind of can play with that mentality yeah. each and every day in practice in a game whatever uh, then I think you'll kind of see him maybe uh, beat Utter out there yeah by next year too I mean I would think Utter and Foster could be starting guards together sure. at that point sure. you know with the rotational stuff and the center job will be open by next year too because Ryan Reeves will be gone so 
they can go in a number of directions at center. But I think it's good that a young guy like Gates has emerged at tackle because going forward, if they were starting two seniors at tackle, that would be a big concern for me for next year just because they don't have any other tackles. And you at least now know Gates is going to be a solid tackle for you for possibly four years. Yeah, you lose four offensive tackles to graduation this year out of that group. And, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to, to groom a guy, you know, for, for the next four years. And really, he's been impressive. He's not just a, a young kid that they're throwing out there. He's held his own. He, he's been very impressive. And I think it's his athleticism that, that has really, uh, you know, allowed him to secure that, that position. And, you know, I feel for Stirrup, I, I hope hope he can get back mm-hmm. I mean I've known his family for a long time and Zach for a long time and I, I hope that it doesn't go down this way all the way I hope that we see him on the field and he makes some sort of comeback but that's how it sits today mm-hmm. yeah the fact of the matter is I mean it's a redshirt freshman out there so mistakes are going to be made and when you have a, a senior that can you know fill in for him at times I mean that's a pretty valuable thing to have not a not a whole lot to say in quarterback Tommy Armstrong's been taking the ones Riker five the twos so uh, we're going to switch over now to defense we're going to take a break here we'll come back uh, we will talk more defensive storylines in fall camp next here in the HOL podcast this is huskeronline.com your authority on Nebraska athletics it wasn't comfortable for us. We, we felt like we were playing with everybody against us. And we really didn't have like that comfortable feeling of just going out there and playing. We felt like we were playing for more than just us. Now we have the, that type of feeling where we're just going to go out there, lay it on the line every week, whatever happens, happens, and we're just going to play hard. So, I mean, I feel like this is going to be a good season for us. I mean, I, f- I feel like we're not going to be that much different, but I know we'll have, we'll have a different mindset just because of the things that we, how, how we saw everything play out throughout the season last year. It just it wasn't a good season. We didn't have a lot of good vibes around us, and we still ended up having a pretty decent season. But I mean, I feel like we just if we keep our mindset straight and um, we play hard every game, this could be a special season for this defense. No more us against the world. Thank God we don't have to worry about it. Everyone, the greatest fan base in college football is against us. I mean, that was the mentality the last seven years. Sometimes with Bo Pelini, and you heard Vincent Valentine talking about that. That it added unwanted, unneeded pressure to the defense. And and we saw that, I think, especially in games like Wisconsin, just the way things would melt down when Nebraska's up 17-3 in Madison with total control of that game. And then Melvin Gordon had a couple big runs, and it, they would just melt down. And, um, you know, I think that is what everyone's going to be watching closely is just the, the mental aspect of this defense. When they give up big plays, how will they respond? Will, will, will it be a lot different? Yeah, we've been talking about the snowball effect for how many years now about, you know, when things get bad, not letting them be devastating, you know, and we saw that so many times over the course of the Bo Pelini era, and I think, uh, you know, more than anything else, I think that's what fans are just hoping for with this new regime that, you know, with, when things get bad, they're actually going to have the resolve to be able to, you know, put a plug in the, in the hole in the boat and keep it from totally capsizing. Yeah, I was surprised, Nate, that Vincent Valentine even addressed that. He unprompted that response um, after practice the other day. I was surprised he even went down that road. I was I was shocked too, but at the same time, I think that goes to show how comfortable guys are right now and, and how confident they are. And and now that um, you know how they're feeling now, they're able to realize that you know the past couple of years, you know, playing in that type of atmosphere, that type of having that type of mentality uh, was detrimental to the team. This wasn't healthy for young players. Um, just to have this feeling that everybody was against you, and and you know the, your boss wanted to fire you know your coach and. 
all that stuff. But let's let's get down to the the nuts and bolts of the defense. I think the defensive line, you know, it's pretty much established. Collins and Valentine and Kevin Williams will be right there in the middle. Um, that fourth defensive tackle still up in the air. You know, one thing I wonder, Nate, are the Davis twins. I mean, will they play these guys? Or redshirt them. I, I still think that that's on the table at this point. It's on the table, and Hank Hughes said, you know, that uh, they're talented enough to play. However, I, I think they would like to be able to redshirt them, save them. Um, you know, and one thing though to, to keep a keep an eye on is that uh, you know they they're athletic enough to to get pressure off the edge and, and play defensive end. If they're um, you know if it's a week or two into the year and they're really struggling getting any type of pressure on the quarterback, then they could uh, they could be looked at to you know possibly fill that role and one point towards redshirting them is keep in mind there's a chance you're going to lose two of your top three defensive tackles next season depending on the season Malik Collins has so uh, I mean there's a chance for that and you want to leave yourself uh, with as much eligibility for those guys because uh, man when when you watch them play already I mean they've only been here for a few weeks but uh, I think there's going to be something special with them down the road have you heard their weights though are they still in the 260 I mean I have to think they're closer to 280 now bigger than that they're listed at 265 but there's no question in my mind they're they're heavier than 265. Yeah, it'd be they're like me saying I'm 195 right now. Yeah, they're they're much closer <laughs> to, to 285 than uh, than 265, no question. Yeah, that will be interesting to see what they do because I am concerned, guys, about the the pass rushing. You know, oh, yeah. we watched the scrimmage on Saturday night in the stadium, and you know that was something that jumped out to me. We didn't see a lot of the defensive ends win those one on one battles and get to Tommy Armstrong. No, and that's definitely a concern going forward. I mean, as you know, solid as Greg McMullen and Jack Gangwish are, uh, neither of them are going to strike fear in the, the hearts of opposing offenses, and so uh, they're going to have to rely a lot on teams overcompensating in the middle against Malik Collins. or linebacker blitzes. Right, right. Well, they're certainly going to have to do that. I mean, that was one of the first comments Josh Banderas made during the fall press conference was that uh, it's going to seem like we're blitzing on every single play. That's probably because they're going to have to. I mean, they they don't have that Randy Gregory type that uh, is just going to be able to on his own generate a pass rush and fluster the quarterback they're gonna have to get creative and not just with the linebackers but defensive backs too uh, you know, we see a lot of like the, the nickel blitzes and uh, just to, just to be able to find ways to create that pressure off the edge just because they're really not getting it right now from the defensive ends and let's move over to that linebacker position Nate Dedrick Young it looks like today he'd be one of the starting three and uh, Michael Rose Ivy Josh Banderas are pretty solid as the other two guys but uh, I would say Dedrick Young might have the edge over Marcus Newby at this point. Yeah, it definitely does. And, and uh, you know, Trent Bray after practice this past week said that, you know, it's not as much of Marcus Newby losing that spot or performing poorly. It's just Dedrick Young has elevated his game so much and, and has a better understanding mentally. Uh, and, of course, I mean, as soon as he walked on campus, he was physically ready to compete. But um, he's he's comfortable enough in the in this defense and has been making enough plays to, to kind of supplant Marcus Newby right yeah, now. He's got that lower body too that you don't see in a lot of incoming guys a lot of guys come in top strong and they don't have the legs I mean Dedrick Young is built top to bottom where he's ready to roll and you don't see that too often junk in the trunk as they used to call it (laughs) (laughs) this is a family podcast here Robin so let's keep it family you know I want to throw one more linebacker out there a guy that might have gotten as much out of the red shirt years anybody last year Luke Gifford Um, and his intelligence that he plays with instincts 
I really like the way Lucas played here in camp. Oh, he's he's a unique athlete at that position, you know, because obviously he was a safety coming in uh, and has made the transition to linebacker, and he's he's put on some noticeable bulk. He still has some work to do. I mean, he needs to get bigger to be a Big Ten linebacker. But uh, the the coverage instincts he has as a former defensive back uh, and the, the athleticism that he has, uh, you know, I think that really makes him a kind of a unique weapon. And he played quarterback in high school and offense. Right, and so he's obviously got a high football IQ, which uh, if you're in Mark Banker's defense that can take you a long way and in fact uh, when we talked to banker the other day uh, you know i asked him about uh, if luke gifford was going to have a role this year i mean and he says oh yeah not only do we want him to have a role he's going to have to have one and so they're counting on him to play and probably will play quite a bit considering the the lack of linebacker depth this year I just, i've been impressed with trent bray i think he's been a, a great addition with what he's brought but let's go now off to the back end in the secondary um, there's a lot of talent there, a lot of guys that have played, a lot of young guys. I still think the one thing that's jumped out to me is the scheme is different, Nate. You know, instead of always having those two high safeties mm-hmm. like we've seen with Bo Pelini that gave you that extra support to eliminate big plays, we see a lot more one-on-one, you know, 50-50 situations where the safeties in the corners are susceptible to big plays. Yep. And that 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 has jumped out to me that this defense in the secondary could give up a lot more plays this year. Yeah, those corners are definitely on the island, and you hear that term used a lot. But but they're definitely on an island. They don't have that help. And uh, you know, you talk to Daniel Davy, and and he said that you know in the past they used to be able to kind of guess on, on routes and, and take some more chances and, and maybe be a little bit more aggressive uh, without being as sound in their technique. And and they can't afford to do that right now. That being said, though, with with this new scheme, you're also not seeing the middle of the field completely wide open that we saw so many times you know in years past and uh that's translated into a lot more interceptions that we've seen in practice i mean it's not just the quarterback throwing bad passes defense is making plays and it's causing a lot of problems and the linebackers are getting way more involved Mm -hmm. in in interceptions because of the zone drops yep and so you're gonna it's it's kind of a give and take you know well as nebraska had more prevent or before in the Pelini era they had more protection against big plays they gave up a whole lot over the middle and underneath and you know you're starting to see much less of that uh, from what we've seen from the, the coverage units uh, so far in and, and we've talked about it, but with Pliny's defense, it took the perfect storm for it to be great. I mean, you had to have a Gomes and a Hague in the interior nickel-dime spots and a great middle linebacker like Dillard or Levante David to really make that thing be unstoppable. If you didn't have that, I mean, it showed its flaws. Yeah, when you have NFL talent back there, it makes your defense look a lot better. <laughs> so, yeah, that this will be a change, but you know, I, I, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I think there's a lot of questions still with what they're doing, but I love the fact that you've basically gotten three defensive coordinators on the staff, Hank Hughes, Mark Banker, and obviously uh, Brian Stewart have all been coordinators. And people talk about Trent Bray. He's a future coordinator someday. Oh, maybe yeah, no doubt. maybe a future head coach. I mean, he's a guy that is on the coaching fast track. So uh, you have to like the makeup of this staff. When we come back here in the HuskerOnline.com podcast, we will switch over to our stock report, players that we think are trending up and some players that have been trending down. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Riker, for sure, had an unusual summer. It's nothing I can talk about, and it's personal, so we'll just leave it at that. But I tell you what, he is he's smart, he's athletic, he doesn't 
loses poise. I really like him as a quarterback. I think he can, he sees stuff real well. Gets, he's got a great quick release. It's, he's a little unorthodox at times, but that's all right. We've seen lots of guys through the years be a little unorthodox. I let them know, and they're all been really supportive. I'm, uh, I'm just thankful for them, my family, and friends, and uh, just these coaches are just, and the doctors around here are just amazing. Really helped me get through some things. So I'm, I'm just being honest with you guys. That's what happened. And that starts off our stock report segment here on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. That was Riker Fife, Nebraska's redshirt junior quarterback from Grand Island. Nate Klaus, Sean Callahan back here. And uh, let's start with stock report Riker Fife. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, we reported it back in Tunnel Talk in July that he had not been with the program all summer. Um, nobody knew where he was at and, you know, his status going forward you know, was really up in the air. Nobody knew what to expect. And not only has Riker Fife addressed his personal medical issues he was going with and handled them, uh, he's come back to Lincoln without training with the team this summer, and he has locked up the number two job. I mean, it's not even a a competition right now. When he lost 17 pounds, he said, uh, from the end of – from really the end of spring No, I think it was 23 pounds. 23 pounds. Regardless, that's a lot of weight for for a skinny guy to begin with. And uh, not having worked out with a team all summer long and everything, he's – He's, you know, really just fallen right into place in, in, you know, what was a pretty heated battle for that backup spot, you know, going all the way back to last spring. I mean, he's handled it extremely well. Yeah, he went from 213 to 190. He's back up to about 197 right now. That's crazy. I mean, it's good to know that uh, whatever he was going through seems to be kind of in the rearview mirror for him. And, you know, he's back on track. And, you know, it's funny, like you said, I, I think a lot of people had just completely written him off as the, the guy that was going to be the, the odd man out uh, just because of the, the way the spring that A.J. Bush had and uh, the spring game that Zach Darlington had. I think that everybody just presumed those two guys had uh, surpassed him, but that's clearly not the case anymore. Yeah, and stock down, uh, you know, we go with Zach Darlington and A.J. Bush. I mean, both these guys. I think people assumed they were going to be the number twos. And um, I don't know if it's football experience or IQ at that point, uh, but just the experience of Armstrong and Fife has kind of won out over just the you know lack of experience for these two guys. Right, and the thing with A.J. Bush that's really kind of been a um, somewhat of a concern for me is that the velocity on his throws it's just seems it's gone. And I don't know if that's arm fatigue or they're they're tinkering with his throwing motion or he's trying to be you know work on his accuracy. But uh, the, in the spring he had as much zip, probably more zip than any quarterback in in the room. And now he his passes kind of float a little bit. And, and as for Darlington. I don't know what he's done to, to completely get pushed out as that number four guy. But uh, on Tuesday, he took one rep, and it was the very last rep of practice. He completed a pass, and they, they ended practice right they there. They blew the horn. <laughs> yeah, and then on Thursday, he didn't take a single rep in 11-on-11 work. So it's it's clear that he is uh, no longer in the mix, and it's Riker Fife basically being pushed by uh, A.J. Bush. And then you know another guy we've already talked about him a little bit was uh, Givens Price uh, stock down on him. I mean, I, I know it was a big story, move positions, but let's be let's call the spade a spade here. It's not a good thing um, when you get relocated to a whole other position in your fifth year at Nebraska. Well, especially during fall camp, the so. most loaded position on the team. Exactly. By the way, exactly. It's not it's not like you know Nebraska has a wealth of offensive tackles, um, you know, or, or really experience along that you know offensive line. So. When, when you get moved over to one of the deeper spots on the team, you know, on the other side of the line, going into your fifth year in the program, uh, I mean, it, it, I think it's, uh, you know, kind of a, um, you know, pretty telling on, on what uh, what the coach.
coaching staff thinks of you and, and uh, or what you've been able to put on film to date. So, um, you know, you stock down on Givens Price, not to say that, that he won't be able to to make his way onto the field uh, eventually. You know, he has done a few good things, but uh, uh, definitely an uphill battle for him. I'm going to go stock up Drew Brown, Robin. Uh, this is somebody going into camp. You know, I think Bruce Reed was almost trying to bring a guy in to beat him out, and Jamie Sudcliffe just hasn't really looked good enough to be a kicker at Nebraska. I mean, he's been okay, but his velocity is not very high. And meanwhile, Drew Brown has kicked the ball very consistently. He's gotten it off the ground. We've really only seen him miss one kick, mm-hmm. and it was blocked. So that may not have been his fault. Yeah, the kicker competition lasted about a practice and a half because Drew Brown is clearly uh, the number one guy there. And what's been most uh, uh, encouraging for me is just the, the fact that, you know, maybe the biggest knock on him a year ago was his leg strength. But that doesn't seem to be an issue anymore because he's blasting him from, you know, 47, 48 with ease. And I, I saw him drill one from 50. So, I mean, he's got that type of leg. And in college, if you got a kicker that can consistently hit from, you know, right about 40 yards and out, uh, you're going to be in a pretty good position because not a lot of teams have that. And we agreed stock down. Uh, Charles Jackson, I mean, this is a guy that the Red Sea Scrolls has been anointing the next um, Keo Craver for quite some time. It, it just hasn't happened, whether it's been injuries or, or whatever. Uh, but I think what really kind of sealed the deal for us was here we are watching practice on Tuesday and there's 11 players on the field there's 10 true freshmen including like guys like Reed Carroll a walk-on from Seward and then Charles Jackson I mean that that's not usually a good recipe for getting on the field when you're the the fourth year fifth year guy in the program with a bunch of true freshmen where former U.S. Army All-American four-star you know talent coming into the program um, you know and, and you said it, you know injuries or uh, just has never really grasped things mentally. I, whatever it is, you know, um, you know, running with that third or fourth team, you know, at this point in his career is, is pretty disappointing. Yeah, and I don't know if he factors in even to special teams right now. I mean, I think they probably will give those to a younger player that they want to develop more. Yeah, it's just one of the more frustrating storylines over the past few years because you know, everyone sees the potential he has and uh, one setback after another has just made it not happen he's probably going to be the you know the poster boy as the the what if player just because you know you got to wonder how good he could have been had it not been for all those injuries now the old timers the the true husker fans from back in the day are going to like this one uh, stock up andy janovich <laughs> and we saw the fullback really get involved in the scrimmage uh, janovich had like a 40 yard reception down the field uh, I believe there's even been some handoffs at times. So, I mean, they're, they're getting the fullback more involved in this offense. And we, we talked to defensive players. There's not a player on that offense that they hate tackling more than Andy Janovich because he hurts them. You know, he doesn't take hits. He gives hits. And that's what you want out of your fullback. In fact, uh, during the, the spring – or sorry, the scrimmage on Saturday, uh, you know, I was standing behind the, d- the defense and listening to some of the conversations from the defensive backs. And, you know, there was a story Jonathan Rose was talking about. They, they threw that pass. It was a screen pass to Andy Janovich and the defense had no idea that was even a potential option so Janovich gets the ball and he's running down the sideline like a locomotive and there's Jonathan Rose one-on-one and he's just like oh no what do I do so he he braced himself and ended up missing the tackle well Kyron Williams is right behind him and Williams like was just hoping and praying that Jonathan Rose was going to make that tackle and uh, when he missed it he had a uh, oh bleep moment in his in his head where he's like I, I got to come up with a plan here to figure out how I'm going to tackle this this 230 40 the nephew pound. of the great Jerry Murtaugh and yeah. Janovich and I, I think it would be in Nebraska's best interest to get him the ball in some situations because he runs mean 
And you know, I don't know if there's a lot of running backs right now that have that that viciousness with the ball and the the, the drive to just power out yards. So I think he can be a factor, especially in some short yard and situations. I, the Jan, I've known them since high school. A lot of them went to high school with me in Omaha. Gross, his brothers and sisters, and they are the toughest blue collar yeah. family you'd ever see. He so. plays like it. And finally, guys, on Stock Report, uh, stock up to Mike Riley's injury stance and experience. Here we are. DeMornay personnel gets hurt on Tuesday. Rumors are flying around. We get an email by noon on Wednesday addressing the injury, getting in front of it. You know, none of these games from, you know, Bo Pelini honestly would have just done like they could wait until Thursday or, you know, then somebody would call his parents or high school coach mm-hmm. and then report it that way. Then we'd get in trouble. You know, Mike Riley is a pro. He gets it, Nate, and that's how it should be done. Absolutely. Everything that he does has been handled, um, you know, extremely uh, professionally. And, and you wouldn't expect anything less from Mike Riley, and uh, whether it be getting out in front of, you know, injury information um, or handling things like DeMornay personnel going down. You know, that type of experience handling, a, you know, losing a playmaker, I, I think, uh, is, is going to be a valuable asset for this team because this has happened to him before. When we come back here on the program, we will close. Close out the podcast with Nate Klaus to get an update on some recruiting thoughts, including the upcoming decision of defensive end Noah Fant from Omaha South. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We are talking recruiting with Nate Klaus, and there's always something going on in recruiting, no matter what time of the year it is. We are in the middle of fall camp. Uh, but it still is going to be a busy week, and it was a busy week last week. Let's first hit on the commitment, Nate. Nebraska gets a receiver commitment out of Minnesota, a 500-mile radius guy, and J.D. Spielman. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Spielman, and, and what's he bring to the class? Well, you have to like uh, the pickup of J.D. Spielman. Um, you know, just w- in terms of what he can do in, in Mike Riley's system, you know, um, he's not the biggest guy at 5'8", 175 pounds, but uh, he's tremendously quick and, and uh, fast. And, uh, you know, when you look at his abilities, you know, he kind of reminds you of, of former uh, Oregon State uh, standout James Rogers in the fact that uh, he's not a big guy, but uh, was tremendous, you know, on the fly sweeps and, and, and making plays in the open field and, and even stretching the defense vertically. So uh, that's how Nebraska kind of sees him fitting into the mix uh, here once he gets on campus. And, uh, and you said it, you know, he's a 500-mile radius guy, and it's nice to be able to beat out some other, you know, big Big Ten competition. TCU as well. Well, uh, well yeah, and, and uh, you know when you're taking a guy out of out of the state of Minnesota right now, they've they've locked up t- eight of the the top ten guys in the state of Minnesota. So uh, and JD falls in there right now at number four. I think he'll end up moving up, you know, closer to, to one or two in the state. Uh, but to take a guy out of the state uh, to beat, you know, uh, Michigan. Uh, Iowa, Iowa State. The Gophers. Yeah, the Gophers. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's always nice to, to get a guy like that. So, uh, and he adds something to, to your to your squad that, that you definitely need. So, uh, especially, you know, you know when uh, DeMornay Pearsonell is going to be, you know, graduating, may graduate early, uh, go to the NFL early, who knows. Our but, friend Jay Foreman had to be happy with that, too. Yep, the former, the home of, of Jay Foreman, Eden Prairie, Minnesota. So, uh, it's uh, it was a good pickup for the Huskers and uh, give them their first wide receiver 
commit of the class, probably end up taking three more and, and allow them to kind of focus on taking, you know, guys uh, with uh, different skill sets now. Now let's move over now to the bigger news coming up this week. Uh, we are going to get a commit announcement, the long-awaited commit announcement from Omaha South defensive end uh, Noah Fan. He's going to announce it on a radio show in Omaha, um, you know, and it will be interesting to kind of hear kind of what direction – um, that goes. I mean, because it really has been a, a mystery with Nebraska right now. I mean, his dialogue and visits to Nebraska have been pretty sparse um, since the spring. Yeah, I mean, it's anybody's guess right now uh, where Noah Fant heads. And, um, you know, you if you try to glean any insight on, on, you know, from visits or anything, you know, I don't know that he's been on campus at Nebraska since going back to the spring game. Uh, I know he took a visit to Iowa in early June. Uh, that was the last time he was there. And, and just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, came back from visiting, um, you know, UCLA and Cal. And also took a visit out to Vanderbilt uh, in early May. So, uh, so you know, it, it's hard to try and, you know, figure out what's going to happen. The, the one thing we do know is that academics is playing a major role in this decision. Uh, he'd like to be a pre-med major, um, you know, and eventually go in, in, uh, into medicine, becoming a doctor. And, uh, and they value academics highly. So, um, you know, with that being said, I, I think at this point in time, you know, my best guess is that it's going to come down to Nebraska, Iowa, and UCLA. UCLA. Uh, you know, and, and uh, this is a, this is a guy that Nebraska, you know, you, you need to lock up a talent. Mike like Riley's personally handling. There, there is not a position coach on Noah Fan. It's Mike Riley right yeah, now. Yeah, and, and you just don't see that happen very often when the head coach takes over. You know, the the lead recruiting responsibilities for a guy, and um, you know, and, and from day one, Mike Riley has said that they want to you know lock up the the state's best talent, and and Noah Fant certainly you know is, is that guy. So they they want Noah. Fan, he could fill a need uh, at a tight end, could fill the need at, at defensive end. Um, you know, he's a guy that you you want to see in this class if you're a Nebraska fan. And it's a mystery just because Noah has not tipped his hand much, and you know, I, th I don't think any of the coaches involved have a good read. I mean, I think everybody likes their spot. If you talk to UCLA right now, or if you talk to Iowa, you talk to Nebraska, I think they all think they have a good shot right now. Which for an Omaha kid, that's rare to think. And think about this, Nate, if they lost him. And uh, Bubak from Lincoln Christian, Arizona State. When's the last time that's happened? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, I mean, it would be, you know, off the top of my head, a decade ever. or more, or ever. Yeah, you know, and um, just an odd scenario if if that were to if it were to play out that way. And um, you know, you talk to people associated with these programs in his, you know, in his top five, and um, you know, and like you said, everyone kind of likes their spot, but no one is saying that. Noah Fan is a lock to go here, or Noah Fan is a lock to go there. So um, that's kind of the mystery. Usually, you're you're able to kind of get a you know pretty good feel for things, but uh, uh, he's played things close to the. There best. was a little run in like the early '90s um, and late '80s where Notre Dame was getting guys from Nebraska. You know, and that was before the title run began. But Tim Ritter, great offensive lineman out of Creighton Prep, went to Notre Dame over Nebraska. Even though all of his family, a lot of his family, played for the Huskers, you had Ty Good. Um, a guy from Lincoln Southeast picked Notre Dame and start for Notre Dame. And then uh, Junior Miller, I believe, went to Notre Dame from Creighton Prep as well. But, you know, it's been a long time where you've seen it happen. Were this many two, – two top guys Nebraska has wanted could potentially not be wearing red. 
And the interesting thing about uh, this whole situation is that Noah has told us that after he makes his commitment, he's still going to be evaluating any offers that, that come into the picture. So whether that means new offers, Notre new Dame, teams, yeah, like a team like Notre Dame who has started to show him new interest, um, you know, or he, he, you know, once the season gets underway, he kind of evaluates, you know. Um, you know, if he likes how he may potentially fit into a certain program uh, over over one that he's committed to, um, you know, I, I don't know that this will necessarily be over until signing day. And, and unfortunately, that's just kind of the, the culture of recruiting right now is guys, you know, the, the word commitment doesn't mean, you know, what it, you know, as much as it used to. It's reserving a spot at a restaurant basically. until you get into the better restaurant. That's right. So, uh, but that's just the way it is right now. And, and uh, you know, if you, as much as you you don't like that, you, you I mean you kind of have and to. Go local along. guys don't do it. I mean, it's it, we're just not used to the local kid mm-hmm. getting this type of attention. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time since you've seen uh, you know UCLA go uh, really hard after after an in-state guy like they are with Noah Fant, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's a great player, and uh, you know, wish him the best wherever he goes. Well, that puts a wrap here on this edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Uh, make sure you stick with the site as we'll have more coverage from fall camp this week, and obviously complete coverage of <clears throat> the Noah Fant situation. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.